Hey, Anchor, how we doing, guys? We doing good this morning? Good to hear it. Good to hear a moderate level of, of okayness. Hey, you're invited to be a rebuilder. Did you know that? Some of you, this is your first time at Anchor, like, don't know what that means. Thanks for the invitation. But you're invited to be a rebuilder. Last week, we started a teaching series called Rebuilding. It's obvious, I guess. But the premise of being a rebuilder is, is, is this. It's looking at something in the world that is not right. Looking at something that is broken in the world and not letting the brokenness be normative, right? Not excusing it, not saying, oh, who cares? That's just the way it is. The rebuilder looks at the thing that is broken and leans towards it, moves towards it, believing that, guess what? God might want to use them. That God might want to use you. And you're invited to be a rebuilder. To go through this teaching series, we're looking at Nehemiah, so we're going to be looking at it again. But before we go into it, I want to tell you about a story about my friend named Dan. Dan uh, worked at a very large church in another state, a, a massive church. You've heard of mega church. Add massive mega church to it. You know, you typically you can tell how big a church is by how many cafes they have within the church. I think they probably had three or something. There may have been a landing strip within the church too. I don't know, but it was that level of church at a certain season in American history. In fact, presidents would call the lead pastor when they're in an emotional or spiritual crisis and say, hey, pastor, this was pastor to president level church. My friend Dan was hired by the lead pastor, was mentored by the lead pastor, uh, walked with the lead pastor, and, and the lead pastor defined what it looked like to follow Jesus and offered leadership to people. And then, because of the high profile of the church and because of the inner turmoil of the lead pastor's life, the lead pastor had a high profile, very visible failing. You can imagine a young leader like my friend Dan wondering, well, what does that mean for me? This guy was the one who set the tone, who offered a picture and a glimpse of what leadership looked like, and now this was happening in his life, and he had kept it from us, and all of a sudden it blew up, and now, so, okay, so did everything he say, was it wrong or was it right? Did I, how, do I, how do I process and how do I understand? And one time in the middle of this disillusionment were the bricks of his faith and understanding of what it looks like to lead Jesus' people and even to pursue Jesus himself in the midst of of that season, he found himself in goodwill, because I guess where else would you find yourself, you know? And he found, a, it was in the religious book section, which is like never a great place to hang out in goodwill. Lots of left behind books, um, which, which are aptly named. They're left behind. Le- keep leaving them behind. <laughs> Just keep doing that. But um, he found a book by a guy named Eugene Peterson. Now, Eugene Peterson, maybe you know him from The Message, but he has written other books, and The Message is not his book. That's a paraphrase of the Bible, so just to get that straight. Uh, But the book was called The Contemplative Pastor, and he read the book. Go figure. I mean, who, who does that? Buy a book from Goodwill and then actually read it. But he read it, and guess what? It spoke to the very crisis he was having. It redefined what it looked like to be a pastor, to follow Jesus, to offer leadership to people. 
It was almost like in reading the book, and maybe you've experienced this, whether on a podcast or whatever, but like the pieces of your brokenness are being put back together at least in one sense. So he did what Dan does, and he wrote a letter to Eugene Peterson asking to stay at his house for a a week or so because he wanted to continue to learn. But he didn't know where to send the, the, the letter. So he wrote it and sent it to the publishing company that published the book, thinking that they'll probably forward it because, I mean, they're good people, right? And, and they did, and two weeks later, he got a letter back from Eugene Peterson. You know, in his letter, he said, this is what's happened in my life. Everything is a question. I have more questions than answers. I feel like my soul, my, level, my life, my understanding of what it means to follow Jesus needs to rebuild. You've offered some counsel. I want to sit with you. Would you help me? And Eugene Peterson strung him along a little bit, said, okay, tell me more. In fact, write me three essays on what it looks like to follow Jesus. Then maybe I'll consider your request. So my friend did. He wrote three essays. And then by the third... Eugene Peterson said, all right, come to my house. By the time Dan told me the story, uh, he went to stay with Eugene twice a year and would talk to him regularly, and Eugene continued to mentor him, teaching him what it looked like to offer leadership in the healthy way, what it looked like to follow Jesus with your whole life. Let me tell you this. To be a rebuilder, you need to be resourced. I just want to say that again. If you're going to be a rebuilder, and here's, here's the truth, I hope every one of you commits to becoming a rebuilder, to not looking at the world and just in light of its brokenness, but to look at it in light of what Jesus could do if Jesus got a hold of it, to not look at people just in light of their problems, but to see what could God do if he got a hold of them to look at them and look at situations in light of that, that's the rebuilder's heartache, where they feel what could happen, but they see what isn't yet, but they don't let what isn't yet keep them from what could happen. But every rebuilder needs more than a heartache. If you're going to be a rebuilder, you need to be resourced. And a lot of times the resourcing of a rebuilder happens through a relationship, happens through an audacious ask, happens through, hey, would you talk with me? Could I learn from you? This is the thing where a young mom who, who her life is mixed up and all upside down because like kids have come into the picture and now life looks different and stressed and strained to the hilt. She reaches out to an older mom and just says, could, I, could we go for a walk? walk. The rebuilder needs to be resourced, and oftentimes it happens through relationships, and it's a very simple thing that sometimes it's just, hey, could we go for a walk? Could we talk? And that's the beginning of the rebuilder being resourced to move from a heartache to resources so they could actually rebuild, whether it's their own personal life, whether it's their finances, whether it's their family, whether it's their relationship, whether it's their neighborhood, whether it's their workplace, whether it's their church, the rebuilder moves from a heartache into being resourced. This is when a young entrepreneur looks looks at the world and has a fresh idea and sits down with a person of means, whether it's intellect and skill and experience or financial means, and says, would you invest your wisdom, your insight, your finances into this? This is the rebuilder being resourced. If you're going to be a rebuilder, you need to be resourced. This is when somebody has said, I'm, okay, I'm, it's, I'm tired of trying to follow Jesus alone. I'm tired of it. I'm going to join an anchor group or I'm going to reach out to somebody 
and ask for insight and counsel? Could we meet once a week? Could we go together and talk about? This is, this is like this very basic stuff. But in these steps, whether it's big or small, intimidating or exciting, is a rebuilder being resourced. This is what we learn about when we pick up the story of Nehemiah. To catch you up, Nehemiah's heart has been broken for his hometown. Uh, he was in modern-day Iran, and now today, or in the, there, then it was Assyria, and he found out from his brothers that his, his hometown was in ruins, the gates destroyed, and in the ancient world, when the gates were destroyed, it meant you were at the mercy of anyone that could roll through, and so he hears about it, his heart aches, and he carries this heartache for a period of time, but the story today is where he moves from heartache to becoming resourced so that he can do something about his heartache. We pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 2. In the month of Nisan, that's not an auto sales event at your local auto mall. Thanks for laughing. The 9 o'clock didn't laugh at that. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. Now check this. The beginning of the Nehemiah story begins with in the month of Kislev. In the month of Nisan, right here, that's a four-month period in our months that passed. And Nehemiah has been carrying this. When wine was brought for him, this is the king, I took the wine and gave it to the king. He says, I had not been sad in his presence before. It means he'd been keeping this heartache at bay. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of the heart. I was very much afraid. In the ancient world, if you were before the king and you were anything but joyous, that meant that the king was not causing you joy. And if the king saw that he was not causing you joy, he could make sure that you didn't cause anyone any joy for the rest of your life, if you understand. And so he was afraid that the king noticed this. I let on, but I'm carrying this heartache for all this time while I let on. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Oh, king. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? If you have a Bible open, I want you to underline that passage. Throughout our time together, I want us to imagine not, not just a king telling Nehemiah that, but I want you to imagine that God is asking you that question. What is it you want? The topic of want at the Halfordy home is a very fairly common topic. As soon as the birthdays are completed, then there's a new list that gets developed. It's, it's, it's the Christmas list. And so it goes, we go from, we have two seasons in the Halfordy home. It's birthday list time and Christmas list time. And, uh, and, and oftentimes what happens is, is that uh, we buy the presents. Okay, my wife buys the presents uh, and, and they're in, the, in the, hall, the hall. What do they call that? The closet. That's what they call that. They're in the closet, and then three days before the birthday, one of our kids says, actually, I want different presents now. Anybody been there? Yeah. Um, what I'm talking about when this verse says, what is it that you want, I'm not talking about the Christmas and birthday wishes that we all have. We all have them. 
That is what I would call consumptive wants. It's the wants of Boats and Budweiser, you know? The wants of advertisement, the wants of things out there and trying to convince you that you need it, but you don't really need it, you just kind of want it. That's consumptive wanting. Consumptive wanting is characterized by just like, oh, that would be great if I could have that too. That's not what's being asked right here. You see, there's consumptive wanting, but then there's redemptive wanting. Oh, this is the wanting of a rebuilder. A rebuilder has a redemptive want that's connected to a heartache that they have that won't light up after months. And if asked, what is it that you want? The rebuilder says, I want this relationship restored in my life. They say, I want there to be no more racism and pain in this world. I want this family to be reconciled. They've been living at odds. I want people to know the name of Jesus and the hope that it brings. This is what I want. That's the redemptive want. This is what a rebuilder can verbalize at some point. You see, the heartache, the heartache is really a want. It's important for us to me. I want you to imagine God saying that to you. Wherever you have a holy heartache, wherever you have something that is not as it should be, imagine God saying to you, what is it that you want? What is it? Because I believe that's a thing that God does. I think he asks that of us. Here's the truth. If we don't respond with the this is what I want, if, if, we, don't, if we don't give a, a response to that question, our pain will turn into either wallowing or callousness. Our pain will turn into wallowing, which means, yeah, this world sucks and that's just how it is. But sometimes we're in seasons of that, and I don't mean to be dismissive of that. Sometimes we can't see the day, and it takes everything within us to hold by faith to the truths of God. But pain, unvoiced, becomes wallowing or callousness. We all know somebody that's callous. Who cares? I'm okay. I don't need help. Pain has to turn into petition. Would you help me? This is what's on my heart. This is what I believe God wants to do. Would you help me lean in with it? Pain has to turn into petition. Can I tell you two things that, uh, like, I, I think that, like, as we're thinking about the rest of our time together is talking about, like, how, what does it look like to ask? How do we ask? If, if God is really say, asking that of us, what's our response? And the first thing I want to tell us is, is that, like, we have to be able to, as we're formulating, okay, here's our holy heartache. Now, if God is asking us, like, what does it look like? What do we want? A redemptive want. Or we have to be able to respond with asking big. Ask big Paul says uh, to the Philippians, the Philippians like, uh, were like his favorite church, I think, if he was to pick, I think it was his favorite. First picked at recess. You know, Philippians, sorry Colossians, uh, Galatians, definitely not gonna pick you, but Philippians, come. And uh, like he loved them. 
Like he actually, you know, the Philippians actually did what Paul asked him, them to do, you know? And he writes in verse, chapter, in chapter one, verses nine and 11, he says, it's my prayer, so this is Paul's prayer to the Philippians, that your love, again, this is chapter one, verses nine through 11, it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, I think for some of us, if we've been around the church for any number of years, we read a verse like that and we're like, cool, good, inspiring text, maybe it gets me going in the morning before breakfast, you know? Uh, But like, I want us to take a look at this and see how big of a prayer this is. And I'm gonna do that by reading this prayer as if it wasn't so big of a prayer, like kind of like a middle of the road, kind of like God, maybe if you have some time type of prayer. It's my prayer that your love may, you know, get you by um, with some knowledge, maybe, you know, some insight so you can prove of what is kind of, you know, so you can kind of find your way through it. And so, and so you can be, you know, if not pure and blameless, maybe just kind of like, you know, not a total idiot um, for when Christ returns. And, you know, you maybe have some fruit uh, but maybe not, not too much. We can't ask big things through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Here's the truth. Sometimes, sometimes we have tempered down our prayers because of past experiences of not getting them on the timeline or in the way we've wanted them. But that doesn't mean that we get to say to God, when he asks, what is it that you want as you're trying to lean in on my mission, we don't get to say, well, if you have enough, you could give me some extra. What is your big prayer? Because if we're going to be a community of rebuilders, we need to be comfortable praying big things. Can I just ask you, can I ask you just to imagine what it would look like if this community here at Anchor and all other future churches we planted were committed to being rebuilders and prayed for big things. Prayed for real justice in this world. Prayed for people that were like not just spiritually lost but antagonistically lost to have their hearts broken for the gospel. Sometimes it's not a prayer. Sometimes it's just an ask of somebody with the resources that we know that they have that we don't yet have. Sometimes it's just that text message that I mentioned from the young mom to the older, wiser mom. Sometimes it's the meeting at lunch. But if we don't ask big, we won't get big. Whether it's prayers or, or, or relational asks, if we don't ask big, we won't get big, and so we won't have the opportunity to see what God could do if we just asked. And then second is, don't just ask big, but ask specific. 1 John 5, uh, verse 15 says, and if we know that he hears us, this is Pastor John talking to his church in Ephesus. If we know that he hears us, if we know that prayer is more than just a religious soliloquy that's going up into the air and we use rhetorical words so that people can be impressed with us, if we know that he actually hears us when we talk, 
if he hears the silent groaning and the verbalized prayer when we're alone and when we're together, if he knows our heart, if, we, if, we, if he, we actually hears us whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. That's 1 John 5.15. Pastor John in his old age is telling us to pray specific prayers because he knows it. He knows what we need. He knows what we want. Sometimes even more than us. The rebuilder, when asked with the question, what is it that you want, responds with something big and something specific. Here's the truth. Unless we have something big and specific, if we, if we pray ambiguous prayers and make ambiguous asks, it'll lead to ambiguous praise. God, get me through the day. Oh, I got through the day. Was that God or me? I don't know. But if we pray big, specific things, God, I have this need in my life. I am experiencing this temptation. I want to see this breakthrough. I want to see healing happen in this relationship. I want to see you move in this neighborhood. I want to be a part of this type of community. And would you make it so this week, God? I know it sounds audacious, but would you make it so at the end of that week when we look back and see that that prayer is answered, we get to be specific with our praise. Specific prayers lead to specific praise. Can I be honest? I'm not perfect at this. I am more, it's more natural to pray ambiguous and small, unspecific prayers. But I'm trying to make a discipline in my own life. God, would you help my leadership in this way? Would you bring breakthrough in this relationship? Could I see the fruit of me pouring my energy out into this person that doesn't yet know your name this week. I want to invite you to do that. I think this is a mark of being a rebuilder. Some of us, I want to back up a little bit. This is what I would call holy audacity. I think we need to claim holy audacity for our personal relationship with Jesus. We need to claim that as, as something that is normative for us here at Anchor, some holy audacity. But some of us were like, okay, holy heartache. Now, what even is that? So, like, we're not quite there yet. So, I just want to reemphasize two things we've already mentioned as places to go and get you started on this journey of becoming a rebuilder. The gifts and personality and teaming event coming up on August 25th. August, and I think it's on August 19th as well. Go to that. Go to that. This is more than like a pastor saying go to a church event. This is like get resourced with how God has made you and understanding how God has made you so you can start leaning out towards the areas where God could use you. Guess what? When you lean out in the ways that God has made you towards the areas where God can use you, you actually experience joy. That's the way God has made it. And also come to the new to anchor thing. Because if you're wrestling through some of this stuff, uh, you know, just coming to hear more about anchor is a great first place. Here's the thing. We are all, if we're a follower of Jesus, we're all on journeys to becoming a rebuilder. Different places. But write this down. Start your day with it. God is asking you, what is it you want? What is your redemptive want? Next question Point, question, is how do we ask? We've already started you with that. Ask big, ask specific. But typically we ask in one or two ways. One characterized by timidity. 
Remember when Anchor didn't even have a name? It was like, I, we're, Candace and I, our kids, were gonna go plant Anchor, or plant this church. We called it the Tacoma plant because it didn't have a name. And I remember feeling so timid about talking to other people. We were inviting other people to join us, to be a part of this thing. And I remember sitting across coffee and people would be like, so what, are you, what is it you want? And I'd be like, well, I don't know. We might plant a church. And if you wanna come, then maybe you should, maybe think about it. I don't know, pray about it, which is like the Christian version of like the Facebook maybe. Pray, I'll pray about it, you know? Some of you are like, I actually do pray about it. Kudos to you. <laughs> but I was so timid, right? Here's the thing. When, when you're timid with your asks, when you're timid with your asks, you undervalue what you're rebuilding. We tell Anchor, uh, all of our staff, anybody that joins the staff, never apologize for your ask. When you're inviting somebody to join your team, don't say, well, I know you're busy and you're, you, know, you probably don't even like this thing, but, but maybe if you'd consider, it's like, who wants to say yes to that? When, our, when we're timid with our asks, whether it's of God or others, we undervalue what we're rebuilding. We undervalue what God has put in our heart. But the other thing is often characterizes our ask is arrogance. So we have timidity over here, but arrogance over there. And timidity undervalues what we're building. Arrogance overvalues ourself. Nehemiah does neither of these things. Check it out. It says, then I prayed to the God of heaven, picking it up in verse four. Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. Check that out. The king of this major area says, what is it you want, dude? And this first response is, then I prayed. Then I prayed. And I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so I can rebuild it. And then the king and the, with the queen sitting beside me asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? And it pleased the king to send me, so I said of time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of the trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah, and may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates, for the citadel, by the temple, and for the city wall of the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governors of the trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters and the king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. You see that? He keeps both things together. He asks big things, but he recognizes, God, would you open this door? And God, your hand is on me. He keeps both of these things together. He's not timid. He says, hey, could, could, you, could, point, could you tell the person at the point defiance just to, I want all the trees, you know? <laughs> that would not fly, just so you know. Ancient world, probably a little bit, a few more trees. But he's like, that's a big ask. Hey, if we're going to rebuild this city, if we're going to rebuild these walls, we need lots of resources. So I need, could you, could you give me a letter with the kind of the, and the you know, thing? I'm going to need it. But he also says, God, this is only going to work if it's you. It's only going to work if your hand's on me and you open this door. I love John, the Gospel of John records Jesus saying this three times. John 14, 14 says this. You may ask me anything. You may ask me anything 
in my name and I will do it. This is not like, all right, get me those Jordans and I'll take a Benz as well uh, on the side. That's not that type of prayer. It has been turned into that by people that don't understand what Jesus is saying there. What's important to note is that Jesus is saying, you may ask me anything what in my name. You see, a name in the ancient world is not just like whatever your parents wanted to name you based upon what was trending, you know, name-wise at that particular season. In the ancient world, name was character. Name was value. Name was identity. So Jesus is saying, you can ask me, ask me anything. What is it you want? Ask me anything in my name, according to my values, in the way of the kingdom, with the heart of a rebuilder, not a heart of a consumer. Ask me anything in my name and it will be yours. That is an audacious prayer. And I, it is almost intimidating for me to say, but here's the thing, Jesus said it three times towards the end of the gospel as he was on his way towards the cross and his disciples were asking questions about what it looks like to carry this mission forward. He kept saying, ask me anything in my name. What if we had rebuilders here at this church that walked around, that lived their normal life asking Jesus anything in his name according to his character, according to his values, according to his way. Think about what we could unleash. Think about the kingdom advancement that happened. Think about the healing that happened. Think about the justice that would happen. Think about the people that are lost coming to know him and being found. Think about what that would be if we unleash that spirit in ourselves and don't let the world's normal be our normal. Here's what happens when we pray that way. The timidity becomes confidence because we know that Jesus is the one guaranteeing it. We know that Jesus is the one telling us, asking us. We're not blindly knocking on some castle door hoping it will open, but it is Jesus himself saying, if you're gonna be about my rebuilding work, I wanna resource you with it. Ask me anything in my name. The timidity becomes confidence. And also, the arrogance becomes humility because we have to ask him. It's not already ours. God wants to do things in your life that you could not do by your own skills, with your own resources, in your own time. And when you know that and when you live by that, there's no space for arrogance. The ultimate picture of this is, of course, the cross. Where the cross, it shows us how we have every reason for confidence because look how much he loves us. Never doubt that. The cross shows us that we have no reason for arrogance because look how much it cost him. How dare we be arrogant? Ask me anything in my name Timidity becomes confidence. Arrogance becomes humility. Worship team, you can come up. The next step for you, us fellow rebuilders that want to be about the world's pain and kingdom ways, 
The next step is to become resourced. And to become resourced, you have to do this. You have to look up and you have to look around. We look up to God. God, would you give me strength? God, are you in fact asking me what is it that you want? And we look around. Who has God placed in my life that will help resource me to be about God's work? This is what Dan did when he encountered this book. It's what Nehemiah did when he uh, found himself next to the king. He looked up and he looked around. He looked around and he looked up. And here's the thing, anchor. This is a question you have to wrestle with at home, after church, over conversation with friends and family members. But here right now, as I look up to God and I look around and I think about the work that God wants to do here at Anchor in planting more churches and being the type of community that addresses social needs but also spiritual needs, the type of community that values emotional health as we see so many suffering because the lack of it and seeing emotional health as intrinsic to following Jesus but also sees rapid mobilization and advancement as also incredibly important. That is neither a liberal church or a conservative church but a Jesus church. When I think about the community that I think God is inviting us to be, I have to look to you. Will you join in the rebuilding work that happens here in this home, in this place, that you take with you into your neighborhoods? Will you rebuild by serving here, giving here, pouring your thoughts and your prayers into this place, sharing the gospel with your friends and neighbors? Would you be a part of the rebuilding work? I'm going to pray for us. And if you're feeling within your heart, yes, 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 I want to invite you to stand. God, would you raise up rebuilders in this place? Would you help us? Would you keep us from normalizing the world's set of normals as ours? Would you let your kingdom be the normal for our lives and we would have the eyes of rebuilders looking at the broken world, not dismissing it, not writing it off, but moving towards it as you move towards broken lives, as you move towards our lives. Spirit of God, would you raise up leaders in this place that go out into the world, that don't just stay here, but go out and not sharing your kingdom, that the good news has already happened, that it's finished, and, 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 and you're, people are being invited into it. Would you help us to be contagious kingdom people, rebuilders of what is broken? Spirit of God, would you make it so? Because by our strength, we don't have enough, and we confess we also confessed and hear you saying, what is it you want? Amen.